Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 through 22. We'll read that. We'll pray. And you can be seated. The Bible says, And unto the, the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou work cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in fire, in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Help us pray and you be seated. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for the, the, the service thus far. Thank you for this congregational singing, the time of prayer, God, the special singing. Thank you for the fellowship time. Thank you for these dear people that are here tonight. We pray, God, that you'd help them tonight and wherever it is they need help. And Father, we pray for those that were not able to be here tonight. I pray, God, you touch them. Father, we come to this place where it is so important for us to be sensitive to you as we have read the Word of God and now we try to preach the Word of God. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help me to be very sensitive to the Spirit of God. I pray that I'd say everything I need to say and nothing that I do not need to say. God, you know the burden of my heart. You know the burden of my heart for myself, my own, uh, my own life, and then the burden for my family and the burden for these people that are before me tonight. I pray, God, you'd help us, God, and I pray that you speak to our heart, charge us and challenge us and change us for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And amen, you may be seated. Thank you for standing for the word of God. Uh, as we deal with, we're not going to deal with all seven churches here in the church of, uh, in, the, in these seven churches that are mentioned in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Revelation. But I do need to tell you this as far as by way of introduction about the, the three views of the seven churches of Revelation. The first view is prophetically. There are people that will assign these churches as different church ages throughout the centuries uh, since Christ came and died and rose again. And they will label these churches as a prophetic timeline. And they will look back at that and try to apply these churches churches to different church ages and while I am not necessarily against that I do not believe that is the proper way of interpretation of these churches and I, I do not believe that is the most profitable way of interpretation of these churches uh, and there's several reasons and I don't have time to deal with that because I don't want to deal with all seven churches but people do uh, label this as a prophetic view and in that sense this church of Laodicea is labeled 
world as from the 1900s to present day and even until the rapture takes place. And the problem with that is they call that the Laodicean church age. But you will never read of a Bible in the Bible about a Laodicean church age. And this is the burden of my heart tonight is that I have heard so much about us being in Laodicea and us being in the Laodicean church age. I have heard so much about the great falling away. I have heard so much of people saying God is not going to send revival again and God is not, uh, people are not getting saved like they once did and, and we're not seeing a move of God like we once did and we blame it on being a part of the Laodicean church age and if God will be my helper tonight uh, I'm going to preach on you don't have to live in Laodicea you don't have to live in Laodicea uh, tonight I don't know uh, where you are at but I have a burning a burning desire uh, to not be a Laodicean Christian I have a desire tonight uh, that I personally uh, do not live in Laodicea I have a burden that my family uh, does not live in Laodicea and I've got a burden that the White Graves Baptist Church uh, uh, not live in Laodicea uh, somebody asked me this way week uh, about what I thought about what was going on uh, in Kentucky at the Asbury College uh, and I told them and what I'll tell you tonight I have no idea what's going on at Asbury College in Kentucky I've got enough to worry about with the ministry to my family the ministry of the White Graves Baptist Church the ministry of biblically educating young people and the ministry of trying to win souls to Christ and doing a work of God I ain't got time uh, to read no articles watch no YouTube video and to research what's going on down, down in, in, over in Kentucky uh, for me to be worried I've got enough problems in my own life and I know this I need God and I need revival and I know this I'm sick and tired of living in Laodicea and I don't want to live in Laodicea anymore and you don't have to live in Laodicea you know why people are not getting saved like they used to get saved? i tell you one reason, one reason alone, because we're not getting the gospel out like they once did. We have fallen slack, and we have fallen indifferent, and we have fallen cold on God, and we are not doing what we should be doing for the Lord. So some would say prophetically, I don't buy that, I don't like that, I'm not against it, but I don't like that, I don't think that's the proper way. But, they, but I do believe that these views of these, the view of these seven churches are both practically and personally. What do I mean by that? Practically, these were seven literal churches that were in seven literal cities that Jesus Christ had a practical message to each of those churches. We must recognize that. The other place, uh, not only practically, but personally, I believe this, that in the hour that we live in, you can find all seven of these churches still in existence today personally. I mean, I mean, not necessarily these churches, Laodicea, Ephesus, all that, but I mean a, a church like these churches in the hour that we live in. And I believe this, that in every church, you can find Christians that would fall into one of these seven categories uh, today, right now, personally. So I believe that these messages are a personal message to us as children of God that we need to take heed to. Now, Laodicea. 
Let me give you a couple of things and then we'll get to the burden of our message. Laodicea was famous for three things. They were famous for finances. They had a lot of money in Laodicea. It is said, I don't know, but history tells us that in, in 61 A.D. Uh, the city fell because of some kind of disaster. I can't remember what the disaster was. It fell. Laodicea had so much money on their own, they received no money from Rome. They would not receive any more money from the Caesar and were able to totally rebuild their city on their own. That's how much, how much wealth they had. They were known for their finances. They were also known for their fashion. There was a, a, a soft black wool that was produced in Laodicea and that soft black wool they would use to make very uh, luxurious clothing and they would make even luxurious rugs and, and the newest fashion styles would always pass through Laodicea. They would appear first in Laodicea. They were known for their fashion and then they were known for their pharmaceuticals. There was, a, uh, there was a famous medical school there in Laodicea. And in that medical school, they produced a little tablet. And people all over the Roman Empire would take that little tablet and they would crush it up, mix it with water, and make an eye salve. Hence what the Bible talks about in later on in verse number 18. And that eye salve would be used to treat many different eye problems throughout the Roman Empire. They were known for their finances, their fashion, and their pharmaceuticals. I can say it like this, they had money, they had money power, they had material power, fashion, and they had medical power, pharmaceuticals. These people had a lot of stuff, a lot of things going for them. But they had real big problems. Real big problems. Notice, first of all, the biggest problem I think of all, maybe I don't know. At least it's the beginning of the problem. Look at verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. Now you can search me out and make sure I'm right on this. But you look through chapter 2 and chapter 3 and no other church is labeled like that. You have the church of Ephesus. You have the church in, uh, you have the church of Ephesus. You have the church in Pergamos. You've got the church in Thyatira. You've got the church in Sardis. You've got the church in Philadelphia. But you've got the church of the Laodiceans. You know what I believe about this church? What starts out with their problems is they didn't have the right possessor of the church. It was the church of the Laodiceans. It was their church. It was the, they, they owned their church. They did not let the Lord rule and reign in the church. They thought they could do as they pleased. They did not consider the word of God. They did not consider the will of God. It was the Laodicean church. You know, it's their church. But let me tell you something. This ain't your church. And this ain't my church. I didn't die 
for this church and, and I didn't purchase this church with my own blood and you didn't either friend uh, you didn't purchase this blood church with your own blood uh, and you didn't buy this church you didn't die for this church uh, uh, you are not the one who builds the church uh, and you're not the one that sustains this church uh, and this church doesn't exist for your glory or you, for your family's glory uh, this church exists uh, for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ he's the one who died for the church and he's the one who purchased the church and he's the one who builds the church and he's the one who sustains the church you say what's our responsibility in this thing I'll tell you what our responsibility is preach Jesus Amen. Praise Jesus. Promote Jesus and publish Jesus. It's all about Jesus at the church if the church is right. See, no man, no man is qualified to take the place of the Lord Jesus as the head of the church. No man, no board of men. No committee of men and no congregation of people have a right to raise themselves up as the head of the church. Their possession was wrong. but Their passion was wrong. Look what he said. Verse number 15, I know thy works. It's amazing to me, he has not one good thing to say about this church. Not one positive thing about this church. You know what? If God ain't got nothing positive to say about what's going on in your life, y'all take heed to what's happening. Y'all not just think, well, I just, oh, negative, 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 all that. Might need to change some things. Might need to listen up. He ain't got nothing good to say to them. Their passion was wrong. Look, I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor it's amazing here because the other churches, he would give them, you know, he, he'd butter them up a little bit. You know, I know you works. And they, they, you got some good works. You know, the other churches, he'd say, you know, you've stood against the Nicolaitans. And you hated evil. And, and you're working real hard. And you're doing real good. He has nothing good to say about Laodicea. He gets right in to the quick. He says, I know your works, that you're neither hot, neither cold, nor hot. And now, what they tell me when I read about this uh, city of Laodicea, there were no natural springs in Laodicea. The water sources were miles outside the city. There was at six miles outside the city in Heropolis, Heropolis there were some hot springs there. And they would uh, pop that water in from those hot springs in the Laodicea, six miles. And then over ten miles in the other direction, there was in Colossae, there were cold springs and they would pop that water in from those cold springs over into Laodicea, ten miles away. And by the time that water from those hot springs got six miles, you're not talk, I'm not talking about electric pumps and being able to push that thing through like the city and the county can push it all over the place. I mean, you've got to think, a slow way of getting water from the hot springs down into Laodicea, a slow way way of getting the cold spring water in Colossae all the way down to Laodicea. By the time it got down into Laodicea, that was lukewarm water. It would not be cold and it would not be hot by the time it got down to Laodicea. And the thing is, the church had, got, had, had, been, had become like the water of Laodicea. 
It was not hot and it was not cold. The church had lost its passion. The church had become indifferent. The church had become apathetic. It had become lukewarm. See, they were just going through the motions. All right, we sung our song. We said our prayer. We testified. We raised our hand. We said amen. We read the Bible. We said amen, preacher. We prayed in the altar. And then we went home. Worse than that. Worse than that. It wasn't about the church service. It wasn't about checking off a list of the church service. It was about the people in the pew. The people who walked through the doors of that church. The people who are part of this local assembly were just going through the motions. I go to church because I'm supposed to. I read my Bible because I'm supposed to. I pray a little prayer because I'm supposed to. I bless my food because I'm supposed to. And I just do this stuff because we're supposed to. Just going through the motions. And they were unmoved. By the things of God. They'd they'd sing a song about Calvary and it wouldn't move them. They'd read the Bible about God's great love for us and they'd just sit there and go, yep, heard that before. The preacher would preach on, on things of the love of God and their position in Christ and how that God took them from what they used to be in the muck and mire of sin and how God brought them out of that muck and mire and placed them on a solid foundation of Jesus Christ and gave them a new life in Christ and gave them eternal life and it did not move them. They were unmoved. They were indifferent. Now, they were, they were not on fire, but they weren't totally dead either. They were somewhere in the middle and it made God sick. Not totally dead because they still probably had praying and singing and preaching, maybe supporting missionaries, but, but there was no passion, no excitement about the Lord, no concern for their own condition, no burden for the lost. And it's not about the church collectively as much as it was the church individually. Because you can be a part of a church that is on fire for God. You can be a church that's got passion and got excitement and you yourself can be cold and indifferent. So watch this. You can be part of a church that's cold and indifferent and you still be on fire for God. Listen to me, it is easier to be on fire for God in a church that's on fire for God. Don't get me wrong, it's easier. But watch this, you make choices for your individual self. Are you listening? You make a choice how close you want to be with God. You make a choice of where you're going to, how you're going to walk with God. And so these people individually had no fire, no passion about them. But, but, but you ask them how they're doing. And their perception was all messed up. You asked them how their spiritual life was going and they saw themselves in a whole different light. Notice what your Bible says in verse number 17. Thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. They thought they were okay. Matter of fact, they probably thought they were better than okay. They had position. They had possessions. They had power. What 
more would they need? I'm rich, increased with goods. I have need of nothing. And I don't mean like the way Brother Mike Missou just sang about I have everything. They were talking about having everything in Jesus, by the way. Okay. But they were blind to who they really were. They were blind of of who or what they really needed. And and most people, most Christians think they're okay or even better. And, And if you challenge them, go after God, they get offended instead of repenting. If, if, you, if you challenge them to go, uh, stop, you need revival, that we need to be revived, that we need to stop being lukewarm, they get offended and they say, no, 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 we're all right. We've got everything we need. Don't come in here and mess up what we got going around here. Don't come mess up the program. Don't come mess up my life. That's what happens in revival every year in the revival meeting. The preacher comes and, and he preaches hard things and he preaches things that doesn't sit well with me and doesn't sit well with you and you think, man, that hurts and man, get off my toes and man, you're meddling now, preacher. And what happened was, oh, whoa, 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 we're okay. we got everything that we need. We're rich. We're increased with goods. we got everything. We don't need nothing. Don't preach that to me. Most, most Most people are satisfied living in Laodicea. And the only way you're ever not going to live in Laodicea is to to decide you're tired of living in Laodicea. The only way you ever going to move out of Laodicea is to decide I'm tired of living in Laodicea. I'm tired of living this life. I'm tired of being this way. I'm tired of this up and down Christianity. I'm tired of this fake and phony stuff. I'm tired of this pharisaical stuff. I just want God. I just need God. I just got to have God. Listen, most testimonies in church, most real good services in church, and I'm not belittling this, but y'all better listen to me. They center around all the material blessings. And they center around all the physical help while those same people are spiritually sick and don't even realize it. Are you listening to me tonight? Burdened. Burdened for myself. Burdened for my family. Burdened for our church. I don't want to live in Laodicea no more. I don't want to live there. You don't have to live in Laodicea. I am not saying there's anything wrong with testifying of God's blessings in your life. There's nothing wrong with with, uh, thanking God publicly for the blessing, material blessings and physical blessings. But my friend, I have seen it time and time again. Those people, I'm telling you, you watch some, you watch some in the songs that are sung. Forget contemporary southern gospel church hymnal, whatever. It don't matter what genre it is, you watch, people will worship on the material verses and sit like a bump on a log on the spiritual verses. Come on now. I'll just, I'll just preach for a minute now. I'm just going, I've got my watch on. I just Listen to me, listen to me. I have been blessed. God's so good to me. That song, y'all know that song? You know what? Most, I'm going to tell you, it makes me sick, just to be honest with you. And you take that, like that lump and jump it. I don't know what you're going to do with it. But listen to me. You know the verse that gets the most shouts and amens and hallelujahs? 
We live in a country, the greatest on earth. Our flag stands for freedom and what it's worth. Am I against America? No. But I, I, I'll be honest with you, I would, I, would, I would hate to stand before God and say we sung a song about the blessings of the cross of Calvary and how Jesus is our shoulder to lean on. He's the reason I sing. And we shouted more on America and a stupid statue of liberty and a, flag, a tattered flag and we worship more about that. Now you, can, you ain't got to like this, friend. I'm telling you, I'm tired of living in Laodicea. Laodicea puts this country and our material blessings over the spiritual, the spiritual sickness that's crept into our churches. We'll shout, and again, ain't nothing. You ought to thank God for every blessing. You ought to thank God for all the blessings, all the categories of blessings. That same crowd. To a shout about that, shout about the material and the physical things. It's funny, when the bills ain't paid and they, and they fall sick, they sure ain't got to shout no more. Listen to me now, God does not promise us prosperity in the New Testament. I'm hanging up too far here, but listen, we must realize that we are, we may have material things, we may have all that stuff laid out of sin, but are we spiritually okay? And the answer is no, we're not. So there's the problem, but thank God there's a prescription. God does not ever leave you with the problem and don't tell you how to fix it. Thank God there's a solution. There's a cure. What's the cure? Well, the cure is first of all, we recognize who comes to them. Jesus is coming to them. Notice what Jesus calls himself in verse 14. He calls himself the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Here's what we see here about the one who comes to them. He's the amen. He's the final word to humanity. Hebrews chapter 2 said this. He said, in before time, that God spoke to you in diverse manners. He spoke to you through the prophets and the Old Testament. But now in these days, he's speaking through his son. He's speaking through the word of God. He's speaking through Jesus he's the final word on the thing he's the final say so about Laodicea not only that he's the faithful say so he's the faithful and true witness he knows who they really are you know what he's going to do he's going to expose who they are he's going to reveal their true state and he's going to set the record straight he's, a, he's the final say so he's the faithful say so He's the ruling say so. He's the one who controls everything. He said he's the beginning of the creation of God. If he created this thing, he's the one in control of this thing. They may think they run the church, but Jesus reminds them that he, his hand's not just on the will of the church. He's got that whole church in his hand. He's got that hand, he got the, the church like a ship in his hand. I think about these little boys playing with these Hot Wheels. And thank God for boys playing with Hot Wheels. Amen and amen. But once you, them little boys don't have their hands on the wheel of them Hot Wheels. They've got their hand all over that Hot Wheel. And they take that thing wherever they want. I watched a little boy in the office was at the school yesterday and he said brother Alan look my car look at my car go and he'd run that thing across that there and then all of a sudden he'd go 
And that car couldn't really do that if he just had his hand on the wheels. But he flew, and that thing's flying. He said, no, no, brother Will. He said, no, brother Allen, it's jumping. It's jumping. And he, listen, you know what? He controlled that car. He had that car do it. Whatever that he wanted that car to do, that car was going to do. Jesus don't just have his hand on the wheel of this thing. He's got his hand all over this thing. And the church is going to do what Jesus wants to do. He's in control. He's letting them know I'm in control, not you. So who comes to them? There's, a, there, there's where the cure starts. We've got to recognize who came to them. But then we've got to see what did he say to them. He said this, I would. He had a desire for this church. He's got a desire for you. I would, verse 14. Or, yeah, verse 14. I mean 15, I'm sorry. I would that thou work cold. Right. He's got a desire. He's got a desire that you be hot. Like those hot springs over there in, uh, in, that, in that town six miles away. That hot, water is that hot water is relaxing. That hot water is therapeutic. That hot water is a place of healing. He said, boy, a real Christian, a Christian that's not living in Laodicea will be therapeutic to a hurting soul, to a hurting world, to a dying world. You ought to be hot like the hot water's coming out of Herodias. He said, but then you ought to be cold like the water's coming out of Colossae. Oh, those waters are cold. Waters are refreshing. Oh, they're refreshing when you take a drink of that cold water. And the church and the people of the church ought to be a refreshment to those who need refreshment. He said, I, I got a desire. And he doesn't just have a desire for White Graves Baptist Church, y'all. It's bigger than that. He's got a desire for you. So I thought, I thought that's backwards. You said it's bigger than that. No, it's bigger than that. He, he's got a desire for you. He's got a desire for you individually that you not be hot and that you, that you be hot and you, or you be cold, that you not be lukewarm. And only that, he's got a disgust too. He said this, So then, verse 16, Because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Y'all know exactly what that means. He means I'm going to vomit you up. I'm going to throw up. Here's what I'm telling you, friend. If anything makes God sick, Here's what makes God, I know everybody's got their idea about what's making God sick. Everybody's got their opinions and everybody tells it on social media. Like everybody really cares. I guess they do because they follow you. I don't know. Maybe they, I don't know what all that's about. But here's what makes God sick. Here's what makes, indifference and apathy. I know, I know, I know. We thought it was the contemporary movement. I know, I know. And y'all know I ain't for that stuff. But here's what, it, indifference and apathy. When we get indifferent on fun things of God, it makes him sick. And I don't think it's a sick like smelling Nolan's stinky feet. I don't know where that boy's at anyway. He's probably burning something down. That boy, when I smell his feet, and I don't mean like I try to, the boy's feet are so rank. If he took, if he took his boots off in this church, y'all all would smell it, no matter where he's at. I'm telling you. Now, it may be a good thing if you're ever lost in the woods. I'll just tell him, take off your shoes, boy, and I'll find you. Anyway, I don't mean that kind of sick, though. Y'all think I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't know where he's at. We may have to tell him, take his shoes off so we can find him. But is it, where is that? He's asleep over That's him snoring over there? Ah. I don't, I don't think that's the kind of disgust. I don't think that's the spewing out of my mouth. I, I don't think making God sick is like that. Like, 
like it's a stink in his nose. Might be, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. But you ever been so burdened about something, so troubled about something that made you sick? I mean, something happened in your family, something happened with someone you love, something happened with you, you get bad news, or, and I'm talking about just, it makes you sick. I mean, it just knocks your stomach up, and it makes you want to vomit. I believe that's what it does to God. See, I, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a, I don't know, I don't know, and I ain't read this nowhere, so I may be wrong. All the commentaries are right, and I'm wrong probably. But, but all you ever read about is that, 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 that nasty disgust, you know, like this makes God sick, like smelling something nasty or tasting something nasty. Like, and, and because you think about the lukewarm water, it touches you, oh, I just, I just feel like, not just I feel like, I shouldn't use that word. That's a bad word. I hate that word. If you study the scriptures, that's a better word, phrase. And we see the burden of Jesus in the gospels. The Bible says he's moved with compassion. The, the, the idea behind that when he said that, you remember he looks over at and said, Mark, can't remember the verse. He's moved with compassion, but he saw them scattered as sheep without a shepherd. Y'all remember that? You know what that word, moved with compassion, has the idea? Y'all, please, I'm not trying to be nasty. But it's the idea that move is like bowels moving. I'm not trying to be nasty. That stomach. Right before Jesus, y'all remember? Y'all remember? Right before Jesus stood up. He said, pray ye therefore the Lord of heart. The Bible says he was moved with compassion. It's that same phrase. It's that same. It's like it gripped his stomach. And for him to be so moved, for him to be so burdened, for him to be so troubled about it, and for us just to be, I mean, ain't that big a deal? Well, I know people ain't getting saved no more. People just ain't getting saved no more. Like, that's okay. We're not seeing people added to the church no more. Like, that's okay. And listen, I'm not talking about us collectively. Because again, you can be in a church that's right and on fire, and you personally. I'm talking about me as an individual getting like that. Talk about my family as a family unit getting like that. I, I'm talking, and then I am talking about our church. But here's the thing: this church ain't gonna be right if the individuals in this place ain't right. The divine announcement: I got a desire for you, but you don't care. I got a, I got a desire for you to love the things that I love. And to hate the things that I hate. And you just don't care. You ever been like that with somebody? They just don't care. Oh, I'm telling you. If you ain't ever been like that, you ain't never raised kids. Or you ain't never invested in them. I've been, I've been working with teenagers since I was a teenager. I, this is dumb. I never should have been that. But 19 years old, somebody made me a youth pastor. That was crazy. I was a teenager working with teenagers. But, but I've been working with teenagers my whole life. Pour into them. You pour into them. And you pour into them. And you see them go, I mean, crazy. And you think, but I had a desire that you'd serve God. I had a desire that you'd live for God. 
out of the sight that you do right and you just don't care. I believe that's the sickness that God's got about it. The apathy. He said this, you think you're rich, but I know you're wretched. He said, you think that you've got it all. This is in verse number 17. He said, you think you're increased with good, but you're really miserable. You think that you have need of nothing but you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. You think you've got achievements. You think you've got wealth. You think you've got a good vision of what you are. You think you've got all the fashions and the fine clothes, but you are not as good as you think you are. I'm talking about the prescription, how we going to get right. If we're not going to get right, we're going to have to listen to what the divine announcement is for us. You've got to listen to what God says about us. Here's what he says, and I'm done. I'm done. Watch what he says, verse 17. I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Knowest not thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. Verse 18. I counsel thee. I'm talking about the prescription. There's no hope. No hope if God doesn't intervene. And, if, and, and if, if Jesus doesn't have a word for him, there's no hope. But guess what? Jesus got a word for it. Jesus has got a word. I counsel thee, watch this, buy of me gold tried in the fire. He says this, go get some spiritual value. You think you've got all this gold set up in these coffers. But if you'll lay up for yourself spiritual wealth, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, it'll be a far more profitable than the worldly goods down here. The spiritual things, the, the treasures in heaven are so much more profitable than any of the worldly wealth you can have. He said, go get some gold tried in fire. And then he said this, that thou mayest be rich. You want to be rich? That's the kind of rich you need to be. Then he says, in white raiment, he said, go get you a spiritual vesture. You got that, that fine black wool you're selling. What you really need is a white raiment. Here's what he's saying, to be clothed in the robe of righteousness is far more fashionable in the sight of God than all the fashions of this world robed in righteousness. You may want the fashions of this world and, and the styles of this world but, and all the fine linens of this world, but God's looking for righteousness. So go look for a spiritual vesture, spiritual value, and then make sure you've got spiritual vision. He said this, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with thyself that thou mayest see. To see ourselves as God sees us is the only way, only thing that can bring repentance and obedience and humble service. A lot of times, a lot of times, we see ourselves in one light. We, we, we think we're better than what we are. And I'm saying we because I'm included in that and I'm the first person. I'm the first worst person. First worst. Okay. And I'm just telling you some examples, and I, I'm not being ugly when I say this. The, not too long ago, I'm not being ugly. Please don't take this as being a smart. Gosh, please, I, I don't want my spirit to be wrong. 
there was somebody talking to me that I probably really don't know what they look like. And I'm not being ugly. I'm, I promise you I'm not being. They wear so much makeup. I'm not being a. Their hair color ain't even their natural hair color. That's all your business. That is your business. My business is my wife and my daughter, not yours, okay? If you want your wife to put on a mask every day, that's your business. And ma'am, if you want to put on, my grandma used to say every old barn needs a new paint coat or whatever. I don't know. I, I don't think y'all are barns, but okay. <laughs> I don't know what she really looks like. She had a conversation about how fake and phony some of the people that go to her church were. And I thought, I mean, it was one of those times, y'all be proud of me. I just, I just didn't say nothing. Can y'all believe that? I know, Brother Brian, y'all just getting to know me, but that's really hard for me. And I just, I thought, amen, all right. And I didn't say what I was thinking. That was really good, big step for me. I was really proud of myself that day. I patted myself on the back. But, but no, in all seriousness, though, how many times have I been that way? How many times have I been that same person? You know why? You know why? Because it's a lot easier to look at you and your faults than it's for me to look at my faults. See, right now, you can see more of me than I can. The bigger I get, the less I can see in myself. <laughs> I'm just glad I can still see my feet. Amen. <laughs> Even if I get a mirror in front of me, it's still, I, I, it's still really hard for me to see parts of me that you standing on the outside, you can just see all around me. And it's really easy for me to see the faults of you. It's real hard to see them on me. See, if you had a big old, I'm not being just see if y'all are awake. You had a big old booger hanging out of your nose. I can see it. But I can't see it if it's hanging out of mine. Hopefully I'd feel it, but now all of you going to be thinking, I don't see no boogers, okay? See, if you had a big old, if you had a speck in your eye, it's a lot easier for me to see the speck in your eye than the moat sticking out of my eye. Here's what he's saying. Get some owl salve. You need spiritual value. You need a spiritual vesture, but you need spiritual vision. You need to see yourself as God sees you. And let me just give you this tonight. The only way you're going to see yourself as God sees you is read his letter that he wrote you. See, he wrote that church a letter. He wrote us one too with 66 books in it. And the only way we're going to see ourselves like God sees us is to open that letter and to read what he said about us. Because if we don't ever open that letter, we think, well, we're doing good. We got, we got this thing doing good now. We're doing good. And you know what we'll do? We'll look at somebody else. Well, I'm doing better than him. Watch it now. I'm at church on Wednesday night. Where are they at? Hmm? I was down at the jail last night. Where was they at? I'm on the street corner on Friday. Where are they at? Hey, listen now. You say, how do you know all that stuff? Because I'm living it. You don't think it runs through my mind? We think we're better than what we are. Divine announcement. Here's what he says. I'm done. Brother Tim, you're going to play softly. I'm done right here. Look what he says. Verse 19. 
19, I'm done, listen, don't close your Bible yet, as many as I love. Well, ain't that good? He's speaking to you out of love. As far as I know, God may tell me my heart's different, but as far as I know, everything I'm saying tonight to you is out of love, but it's bigger than me talking to you out of love. God's got this book for you because he loves you. As many as I love, he's got compassion for you. And if he loves you, he's got caution for you. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. I've got a word of caution for you is what he's saying. Because I love you, I'm not going to let you run around and play in the yard. I mean in the road. Because I love you, I'm not going to let you, I'm not going to let you fall off into that fiery pit. Because I love you, I'm not going to let you walk real close to the edge. I got a word of caution. Get on over here. I got a rebuke. I got chasing. There's the word of counsel. I've got a word of compassion, a word of caution, a word of counsel. Here's what it says. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Listen, I did not stop repenting the day I got saved. I started repenting. And a life of a Christian that's not living in Laodicea will have to be a life of repentance. Of every day, every moment, repenting, repenting, repenting. There's a prescription. The prescription is the one is in the one who came to them. It's in Jesus. You can't live this life on your own. And you can't move out of Laodicea by yourself. You're not just going to pull yourself up by your bootstrap and walk out of Laodicea on your own. Oh, but there's one who comes. And he says, I love you. And I see you for who you really are. And you're really not as rich as you think you are. And you really don't have all the goods that you think you do. And, and you're really, you really do have a lot of needs of a lot of things. But in me, you've got everything. And if you'll come to me and you'll repent, here's what he says I'll do. Hallelujah. I stand at the door and knock. He's standing there. He's standing at the door and he's knocking right now, presently. And watch what he says. If any man, hallelujah, any man hear my voice, you don't have to be a preacher or a missionary or a revivalist or an evangelist. You don't have to be any great title that this world affords. If any person would just hear his voice tonight, it's personal. It's about you and me personally, individually. He said this, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and we'll sup with him. It's precious. Hey, just something about supper time. I know we live busy lives, but you ought to have a meal that you sit down with your family at the table. You ought to have a meal. Your lives, I know everybody's lives are different and schedules are different, but you ought to have a time where you sup with your family. Supper, where you get around that table and you eat. And, and it's, see, in those days you had breakfast was real big. And then if they had a lunch, they'd have a little bit of lunch. But supper was real leisurely. It was just sitting around the table. No hurry, no plans. This is the last thing on the agenda tonight before we wash up and go to bed. And we're just going to sit around and we're going to enjoy the meal and we're going to enjoy fellowship and we're going to talk one with another. And we're just going to enjoy each other's company. Just sit and stay a little while. Just sit and stay a little while. Hang your hat on the hook. 
kick your shoes off if you want to and just stay a little while. And let's, 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 he says this, if you'll let me, if you'll hear me, I love you so much. If you'll take this rebuke, if you'll take this chastening, you'll repent. I'll walk in that door and I'll sup with you. And here's what he says in verse 21. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. The powerful promise. You'll get to sit with me. Is there anything more powerful than sitting with the Lord Jesus? Fellowshipping with the Lord Jesus? Have all the money you want. Have all the position you want. Have all the prestige this world's got, all the popularity this world. There ain't nothing like sitting with Jesus. There ain't nothing like the presence of Jesus. There's nothing like the power of Jesus. It's all about Him. You don't have to live in Laodicea tonight. I don't have to live in Laodicea. And until I get as sick about as God is, ain't nothing going to change. And until I repent and rest on the one who wrote me the letter, nothing's going to change. And tonight it'd be good for us to get tired of Laodicea tonight. I'm tired of it in my personal life. I'll just be honest with you. It's real easy. Even in an atmosphere like this, in a church like this, with people like y'all, it's real easy to get really cold and really indifferent. It's really easy to ride on the activity of the church. It's really easy to ride on the activity of the ministry. But activity will never replace intimacy. And he just don't want you to be busy for him. He won't sup with you. Are you tired of living in Laodicea? Let's all stand heads bowed and eyes closed. You don't have to live in Laodicea tonight. What choice are you going to make though? As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. I'm on, I know we've already had altar prayer together for the burdens. But I'm going to get in this altar and I'm going to pray. Because I'm tired of living in Laodicea. You do business with God.